At the most basic level, DNA determines who we are, what we look like, the texture of our hair, the color of our eyes, the tone of our skin. DNA reveals relationships and tells the story of our ancestry, your mother's nose, grandfather's eyes, your uncle's smile. In the same way, your DNA forms who you are at a cellular level. This is true for every local congregation as well. You see, every church, including ACAC, has DNA that directs it. Building blocks that make up our identity, distinctives that define what is important to us, our vision, our mission, our values. The DNA of the church is evident in everything we do. Traces of it are left behind in every place we've been, in the smallest, seemingly inconsequential ways. It is replicated as each of us bind together as family, a family of one, serving the north side of Pittsburgh and beyond to change the world. And although we have a beautiful diversity and complexity within our family, the core of who we are, our mission remains the same, to follow Jesus in diverse community so the world will know the good news. Amen. I just, I want you to know, I, I too, as lead pastor, just have really enjoyed um, this series reminding us of who God has called us to be, the essence of who we are, DNA is what we've been talking about as a church. And before I get to our final week this weekend, I do, I'm going to make one impromptu announcement because it happens on the first Thursday of every month. And this past Thursday, we just had an incredible, powerful time of prayer in this room. And it's significant. Um, we say it often that prayer is the primary work of God's people. And for that, the first Thursday of every month in this sanctuary at 7 o'clock, we gather for a time of corporate prayer. And it simply means we come and for an hour we pray. And so I invite you, um, do not lose the significance of us being people of prayer. And as you leave today for this service, I ask that you would pray for all of our services this weekend. We spent time on Thursday evening praying for this service right now and for the ones tomorrow. So I invite you to join us the first Thursday of every month right here at 7 o'clock. Okay. ACAC DNA, the essence of who we are. You know if you've been here at all the last four weeks what I'm going to ask you to do right now. So let's go ahead. Don't worry. This is week five, so it'll be the last time we do this, at least for a little bit. Say these with me. We are spirit-led. We pursue God's presence and proclaim his truth. I'm not going to help you with this one. We love people where they are. We are Okay. There we go. All right. Give yourself a hand. Now we got him. So I really hope, that was a little weak, but I really hope that as, as days go on, that this, this isn't just a series that we do and then we move on. I'm telling you, like year in and year out, we may do it a little differently, but I want to keep these in front of us. We need to remember the essence of who God has called us to be so that we won't forget. So 
today and this weekend, we're going to look at that last one. We strive to become more like Jesus, striving to become more like Jesus. And so let me ask you a few questions. Last year around July 4th weekend, we talked about this a little bit. I asked the question, you know, how would you define a Christian? And so I'm going to ask a similar question this evening. What to you does a Christian look like? How would you identify a Christian? Um, if I gave you a piece of paper and a pencil and say, hey, would you draw a Christian? Who would you draw? Or what would that be like? What does a disciple of Jesus look like? How do you identify one? We talked last uh, two weekends ago about uh, reaching out to, to loving people where they are and Afghan refugees that are coming into our area, Pittsburgh, city that I believe is like 700. And Pastor Bryce, right before this service was telling me and how he had connected again and that very step of love right there loving people where they are ministering to people in need is a picture of what a christian should be of what a disciple of jesus is but the sad reality is that there are some that are no longer identifying with the term christian there are some that are deconstructing their faith there are some that will never walk through these doors, no matter how many times we invite them, because of what they see from Christians. That's sad. It's a sad reality that somewhere along the way, some of us have distorted the picture of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, a Christian. The very word Christian means little Christ. Mean, we're talking about DNA, meaning that our DNA, we talk about, you know, having our father's eyes or the color of our, of our mother's hair. We should look like Jesus Christ. So therefore, if being a Christian means that we're to reflect the very essence and the very DNA of Jesus, then we better strive to become more like Jesus. That's what we better do. So... Look at these words from one of Jesus' disciples. He wrote this in his first letter, John. He says, those who say they live in God, how many would raise your hand who are a follower of Jesus and say, I, I want to live in God? Okay, well, we all strive to live in God if you're a Jesus follower. Well, if that's the case, then John says we should live our lives as Jesus. We need to live our lives. We need to talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, and act like Jesus. We often refer to followers of Jesus, we use the term disciples. And this naturally comes from when Jesus called his first disciples the 12. And all throughout the New Testament, we see that the word disciple is associated with followers of Jesus. And from that understanding, in church, we use a word called discipleship. And discipleship to us means the process by which someone is learning and growing and hopefully being transformed and on mission to be more like Jesus. But here is often the problem. And we can be guilty of that here at ACAC too. Often our models within the church equate discipleship to education. Meaning if you simply learn and you understand more about who God is and who Jesus is, you will be his disciple. It's about reading, it's about learning, it's about understanding. And hear me on this, while growing an understanding of who God is and who Jesus is, it is essential, don't get me wrong on that, 
But we must also recognize that being a disciple of Jesus requires far more than just knowing about them. Today, we're going to look at what it truly means to become like Jesus, to become one of his disciples. We're going to look at how Jesus called and developed a group of young Jewish boys who eventually would change the world. And how God is still calling men and women to follow him, to be his disciples. And hopefully we're going to see this, that faithful disciples of Jesus will follow him, will be transformed by him, and will go on mission with him. That's what a faithful disciple of Jesus is. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord, my heart has been heavy for this moment right now and for our services tomorrow. Because I believe that you desire to do something amazing. And it is not in me, it is not because of any gifting or talent that I have, but it is by your spirit because your spirit draws people unto you. And there are some here today, there are some that will be here tomorrow at one of the three services, there are some that are watching online, there are some that are at our homestead campus, spread out wherever they be, and I pray that they would realize right now that it is not an accident that they're here or that they're tuning in. But the King of Kings, the God of the universe desires to speak to them. So I pray that you would eliminate every distraction I pray that our hearts and our ears and our eyes and our minds would be so tuned in to what you want to say. Lord, speak through this vessel in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, as we read scripture, as we look at God's word, it's really important, it's very significant that we recognize how history and how context apply to meaning to our lives as we read God's word for us today. We need to understand historical context when we look at God's word as we apply it to our lives. Understanding what it means to be a disciple of Jesus today as we look at, okay, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus today? I believe that it's important that we also understand then what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus some 2,000 years ago. We need to learn a little bit about the first century rabbinical system, what it meant to be a rabbi and to have students in the time of Jesus. Now, for some of you, you like history and you're like, oh, good, we're going to get into some of that. For others of you, you're, you're like, oh, like rabbinical system, what does that mean? I implore you to stay with me. I'm going to give you a little history, but this is so important to the context of what it means for us as Jesus followers to be a disciple. Discipleship, understand this first, discipleship was nothing new to Jesus and his followers and the first century Jewish people at that time. There was a system of discipleship already established. It's significant because later in Jesus' life, when he begins his public ministry, All throughout scripture, Jesus is often referred to as a rabbi, which means teacher. His disciples often said rabbi. So, a little bit of history here. It's significant because later in Jesus' life, when they start calling him rabbi, we need to understand a couple things. Now, they did not identify him as rabbi Jesus 
there are rabbis today, and normally you say rabbi, be like Rabbi Blaine, Rabbi Ken, Rabbi Ross. They're not rabbis, I'm just using them as an example. But you're with me. So they didn't say Rabbi Jesus, they simply called him Rabbi. There were other rabbis in Jesus' day and before Jesus' time, they just simply called him Rabbi. But around 70 AD, the rabbinic period is what they call it, that's when things changed and they began saying Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Eliezer. Are you with me on that? So Jesus was just called Rabbi. This is so critical and important. Hear me on this. Jesus lived in a deeply religious culture that highly valued biblical understanding. This isn't like our modern day today where people look at the Bible as an antiquated book. Okay, First century Jewish people, the time and the culture in the community in which Jesus was born, they respected God's word. They were highly religious people. Rabbis were greatly respected. And to be a disciple of a famous rabbi was an honor. Rabbis were expected not only to have vast knowledge and understanding of scripture, but rabbis were also to show through their lives how to live out scripture in daily living. Rabbis had disciples. And the disciples' goal was to gain the rabbi's knowledge, to learn everything that the rabbi knew. But even more importantly than understanding what their rabbi knew, the disciples' goal was to become like him in character. And it was expected that when a disciple became mature, he would take his rabbi's teaching to the community where he would develop other disciples to carry on his rabbi's teaching. Are you all with me on this? Okay? You're with me. All right. I know we're getting a little history. I'm going somewhere, I promise. Here's the thing. So how did one become a rabbi and a disciple? This is important. Let me give you a breakdown. There were three levels of a Jewish educational system. And this is fascinating to think about our kids today and how kids were back then in first century Jewish tradition. So children first went to, they're going to put the name up here, Bet Safer. Everybody say Bet Safer. Okay. Bet Safer means house of the book. This was the first level of education. So all Jewish children, starting around five, six years old, up through age 10, went to Bet Safer. And what they did was they focused on reading, writing, and memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Now, I want you to think about this. By a time a boy and girl was 10 years old, Jewish boy and girl, they would have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Man, that's pretty amazing. That was the first level of education. Now, the second level was called Bet Talmud. Say Bet Talmud. Okay, now that was the house of learning. Now, unfortunately, ladies, only boys went on to Bet Talmud. Okay, first century Jewish culture, don't fight with me, go back in time and argue with them. But boys 10 years old, it normally happened between 10 and 12 years old. Now, they would continue their learning. So they had already memorized the first five books, but now they would start to put that into application. How did that, they would interpret that and how to apply it. But then they would also memorize the rest of Hebrew scripture. So by age 12, Jewish boys would have memorized basically our Old Testament. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. 
Now, it amazes us because we're like, there's no way. But how many of you know we memorize what we want to memorize? I mean, I'm Generation X, and regardless of what you thought of the Super Bowl halftime show, I know my generation knew a lot of those Eminem words and Dr. Dre words. Amen. Pastor Ross included. Some of you, I could put a journey song on, and you would, don't stop, believe, you would know every word, okay? So they just, met, they just put things that were important, and they focused on what was important, and they memorized it, but significant. Now, here was the third level of education, Bet Midrash. Say Bet Midrash. Bet Midrash. Here's where it gets really interesting. Only the best of the best students, best of the best boys. Okay, Bet Talmud ended at 10 years old. So after, 10, after that, they would pick the, I mean, the, the kids that would go on to Princeton, the kids that would go on to Harvard, you had to be the best of the best to go to Bet Midrash house of study. And when that happened, if you were accepted, what you needed to do was you needed to find and seek out a rabbi. Now watch this. You needed to seek out a rabbi, and you would seek out that rabbi, and as a Bet Midrash student, you would have to prove to that rabbi that you were worthy to be their disciple. And you would say, can I follow you? And so now there was dialogue, and there was tests, and there was questions, and rabbis would go through, and these students would try to convince rabbis that they were worthy to follow the rabbi. It's also interesting that every rabbi had authority, and that authority meant to interpret scripture. So when you think about Jesus saying, God has given me authority, that's what he was talking about, the ability to interpret Hebrew scripture. Every rabbi also had a yoke, and a yoke meant, it, yoke was that rabbi's distinctive teaching. So when you think about the verse of Jesus saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus was talking about his practical application of scripture to living. So at age 30, these disciples under a rabbi, and these disciples, the Hebrew word there is Talmud, say Talmud. So if they were accepted by a rabbi, they would be a Talmud, a disciple. And they would follow and mimic. They would learn everything the rabbi knew. And they would mimic the rabbi. I mean the way the rabbi prayed, they would try to duplicate the, duplicate the way their rabbi prayed. The way their rabbi ate, they would try to duplicate the way the rabbi ate. Everything was about copying, mimicking, and imitating their rabbi. And then at 30 years old, the disciple would become a rabbi himself and would be called not to just stop there, but to go out and raise more disciples. It's interesting that in Luke's gospel, chapter 3, Luke says Jesus was about how many years old when he began his public ministry? 30, the year that rabbis came into order. All this to say and recognize, we're ending the history plane, landing the history plane. Jesus was living in a time and a context where the discipleship model had already existed and Jesus had become a rabbi. So now we get to our text today, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, a text that you probably have read a hundred times. But now that you understand the historical context of Jewish education and what it meant to be a disciple or Talmud, 
and Jesus being a rabbi, these are Matthew's words. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus the rabbi, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them and says, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And then they left their net, nets at once and followed him. I want to focus on verse 19 that we just read. And we discover the very first, the very first disciples of Jesus, Peter and Andrew. So for the boys that weren't the best of the best, for the ones that weren't Princeton worthy or Harvard worthy, those boys went back and they did what their father's occupation was. So Simon and Peter's dad was probably a fisherman. So Simon and Andrew were not worthy. They didn't make the cut to go to Bet Midrash. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So in verse 19, though, we see that Jesus called out to them. And as he calls these first disciples, Peter and Andrew, there are three things in his statement. And we're going to look at the first. Verse 19 says, Jesus called out to them and says, come, follow me. Here's the amazing and beautiful thing now that we understand the discipleship model in Jesus' day. Jesus is reversing the traditional way in which a disciple is chosen. It was traditionally on the responsibility of the student, of the disciple, to seek out a rabbi and prove that they were worthy to be the rabbi's student. Remember, it was only the best of the best. Most Jewish boys didn't make the cut when it came to Bet Midrash and being a disciple of a rabbi, but not for Peter and Andrew. Jesus, the rabbi, seeks them and invites them to come, and he says, come, will you follow me? Can you imagine what Peter and Andrew would have been thinking in that moment? These are boys that would have gone through the traditional system, that they didn't make the cut. They would have looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, we didn't make the cut. We weren't Stanford worthy or Harvard worthy. We're on the JV team. I mean, we're the B team here. Why are you calling us? Jesus says, come and follow me. And they drop their nets and they leave. The rabbi calls the disciples. Jesus says, come and follow. Today, Jesus is still calling those who feel like they're on the JV team. Jesus is still calling those who feel like they're not Stanford worthy or Harvard worthy or they're still on the B team. He's still saying the same thing that he did to Peter and Andrew. Come and follow me. So the first thing we have to know that a disciple is someone, a faithful disciple is someone who follows Jesus. We have to follow him. So the question begins with, will you follow him? Continuing on, he says, come and follow me to Peter and Andrew. And then he says, I will show you how. We're going to get to the what in a minute. He says, follow me, Peter, Andrew, follow me. And then I'm going to show you something. Following Jesus is only the first step. Peter and Andrew would have recognized what they were signing up for. 
Remember, this system of discipleship was already established. So by Jesus calling them to be his disciples, they were acknowledging that they were going to leave everything behind to mimic their new rabbi. They were giving their life. They dropped their nets and they walked away from a career of being a fisherman to being a disciple of their new rabbi, Jesus. They were committing to walk and to journey with him. First century disciples, again, did everything they could to mimic their rabbi. And it is no different for us today. As I mentioned at the very beginning of the message, the very word Christian means little Christ. So we should be identified. When people see us as Christians, when we say we're a disciple of Jesus, the world should look at us and go, yeah, they think like Jesus. They talk like Jesus. They act like Jesus. They match the rabbi. We should be identified with Jesus. Again, the apostle John compares it and he says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, if you want to be my disciple, if you truly my disciple, then you will remain faithful to my teachings, John says. Jesus said those words, if you are truly my disciples, you will remain faithful to my teachings. What is Jesus talking about? Obedience. It is one thing to gain understanding and to know about Jesus and to know about his book. It is something completely different to be transformed and now to be obedient to God's word. So a disciple is someone that is being transformed by Jesus. Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, I will show you. I will show you how to live. I'll show you how to live out scriptures. And it's important to recognize that this transformation of Peter and Andrew, Jesus did not say to them, hey, meet me in the synagogue tomorrow at 9 a.m. and I'll show you. Their transformation did not happen in the synagogue. Jesus said, come and follow me. And they dropped their nets and they left and they, they walked where Jesus walked. They ate with Jesus. They slept where Jesus slept. They followed him all the way to the Samaria, all the way to Jericho to see Zacchaeus. They spent time and they journeyed with Jesus. And that is how they were transformed. Last week, I used the word intentionality quite a bit when I talked about diversity. Now, walking in diversity, biblical diversity, requires intentionality. The same is true with discipleship. I began this series about spirit-led, talking about this church's founder, Edie Whiteside, being spirit-led. And I thought it'd be a great bookend to talk about the DNA of this congregation from its inception in the year 1894 has been intentionality about raising disciples of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, I want to share some words about this church's founder, Edie Whiteside. It's written, Edie Whiteside was a trainer of Christian men for Christian service. His method of training was rare, but it was the method of Elijah, the method of Paul, and was preeminently the method of the master himself. As Elijah trained Elisha, by having him with him, and as Paul trained Timothy and others by having them with them, and as the Lord Jesus trained his disciples by having them with him, so Brother Whiteside trained people for Christian service by having them with him. Not a few in the ministry today are there because they were so trained and prepared by Mr. Whiteside. A number of these lived for a season in his own home. 
He watched them, studied them, and spent their time. Noted how they prayed. He watched their general deportment. Had them at times accompany himself to services. Appointed them to preaching. Called up members of the congregation as to how they preached. Whether acceptable or otherwise. Then at suitable occasions, he would watch for his opportunities to get his prospective worker alone. And on the basis of his findings, would advise and counsel and instruct. I love this. Listen to this. On a certain occasion, Mr. Whiteside said to one of his workers, the trouble with you is you don't pray enough. It was a pungent remark, but it proved salutary. Brother Whiteside was himself a whole school of practical Christian work. Now, some of you may know those trainees, those disciples of Reverend Whiteside, they were called the boys. And it's fascinating that these boys went on to plant, I believe Pastor Blaine told me earlier, around 20 churches here in western Pennsylvania. Some of the churches that are still in existence today were from disciples of Reverend Whiteside. The point being, you could hear it in the words, that discipleship, just like Jesus called Andrew and Peter to journey with him, not just to sit in a row and to teach and learn like I'm doing today, but to journey and do life. That's in the DNA of this congregation. And so when we talk about intentionality of discipleship, one of the things I am very excited about is that we are bringing more intentionality when it comes to our discipleship here at ACAC. That later this year, we're going to be creating cohorts that last some three years. People that want to follow Jesus, go on mission with Jesus, and be transformed by Jesus, that they will walk together, not just learning about God and learning about Jesus, but being transformed by him and going on mission with him. We're going to show more intentionality. And here's the last point. Jesus calls Simon and Andrew and says, come and follow me. He says, I'm going to show you. What's he going to show them? How to fish for people. (laughs) Even in the first century model of discipleship, Talmuds, disciples were not expected to stop after learning the rabbi's ways and simply modeling their behavior. The expectation was now that they would go into their community and they would create and raise new disciples. They were to be disciples who made disciples. So a faithful disciple is someone who goes on mission with Jesus. We've used it a lot. We've used it a lot, the Great Commission. Once again, our mission is this. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, says, therefore, go and what? Make disciples. We don't go to our community just to share the good news. That's important. We don't go to the other sides of the earth just to share the good news. We go to share and then to journey with them and make disciples so that they would take the good news and make more disciples. Do you see the difference? Our job is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So again, faithful disciples of Jesus will follow him. They will be transformed by him, and they will go on mission with him to make more disciples. Each of the past five weeks, four weeks, this is the fifth, I've asked for you to stand and make a commitment to the essence of our DNA, these markers. 
And I would be remiss if I just assumed everybody in this room or those watching online or those at our homestead campus were already following Jesus. And here's the thing. You cannot become like Jesus if you're not following him. You can forget transformation and forget going on mission if you're not following him. And some of you right now, you may be watching online, you may be at Homestead, or you're here. And you are maybe a step away from deconstructing because you're tired of what you've seen Christians be. You've not seen healthy disciples, healthy Talmuds of Jesus. And let me just tell you, your eyes were never meant to be on the disciples. Your eyes were meant to be on the rabbi. Do not walk away from the faith based on what you see from other disciples. We follow the rabbi. And his name is Jesus. And oftentimes, I'm not going to do it this service, nor am I going to do it tomorrow. I'm not going to have you bow your heads and have you quietly raise your hand. This is a moment of boldness and courageous faith for you. Jesus called Peter and Andrew, two guys who never made the cut. They weren't going to be disciples for any other rabbis. They were the B team and the JV team. And some of you here today, you feel like that. Jesus is saying to you what he said to them. He's simply saying, come and follow me. You don't have to convince him that you're worthy. And so right now, I'm going to ask, if you're here in this room and you have never followed Jesus, maybe you followed him at one time and you just said, I've had enough, I'm leaving. I want you to be bold and courageous and stand to your feet now if you're saying, I want to follow the rabbi. If that's you, would you stand right now? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're online and you're watching, if you're at Homestead and you're watching, your homestead stands to your feet right now. If you're online, I know that there's a button where you can say, hey, that's me. Keep your eyes on the rabbis. Be transformed by the rabbi and go on mission with the rabbi. And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the rest of you, if you are making a commitment now, not before me, but before God, that you will keep your eyes on the rabbi, not the other disciples, would you stand? And that you'll go beyond just following him. And you'll move from learning and understanding to say, Jesus, I want to walk with you and talk with you and eat with you. And I want my behavior to be transformed so that I look like you. Would you stand? And we're not going to stop there. That we don't get to a point where we look like him enough. But no, we go on mission with Jesus to make more disciples. Would you stand? So if you stood today for the very first time and you're following him, I want to speak to you in a moment. And I want you to pray, pray this prayer with me. And let me tell you, there's nothing special in this prayer and there's words. And you can do it a lot of different ways. What's special is that the rabbi sees you right now and he's called you. And you dropped your net and you followed him. So all you have to do now is follow him and obey. But I want to spend a moment and just pray with you and give you an opportunity to say, Jesus, I will drop my net. I'll leave everything behind and I'll follow you. So if you would in your heart, pray this with me. 
Heavenly Father, you see those that have stood, maybe some that have walked away, maybe some that are watching or at homestead. And Lord, they were moments away from deconstructing their faith because of what they've seen. And Rabbi, they have, Jesus, they have heard you say to them, come and follow me. I pray that, Lord, you would seal this moment in their hearts. Lord, that they would know that you are leading them and guiding them, and you desire to see them transformed and go on mission with you. And Lord, for all of us now, I pray that we would be transformed, that we wouldn't just stop at learning about you or gaining understanding about you, but we would be transformed. Our lives would be different. Our talk would sound like you. Our thinking would think like you, and our actions would be like you. Lord, help us and forgive us for the distorted picture of being Christians that people don't like to see because it looks nothing like you. Help us. And God, help us to go on mission with you, to pick up the call to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.